Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This is our first episode in a new season where we will be talking about the book of Philippians and what it looks like to live a joy-filled life in response to the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today are Pastor Jay Miller and his lovely wife, Amy. So Jay is currently the head pastor of Parkway Presbyterian Church in Cumming, Georgia. He and Amy have spent several years here at First Perez while Jay served as our youth ministry director, so they are beloved by many here and longtime friends of mine and when I refer to Jay I often say something like Jay is one of the funniest people I know <laughs> and I will say I do not often laugh loud and hard spontaneously but Jay can Jay can pull that out of me <laughs> and yet he is one of the most spiritually serious people I know and then Amy by far is one of the wisest and kindest and most gently efficient people mm-hmm. that I know So, Jay, you're going to tell us a little bit about how you and Amy met. And then, Amy, you're going to tell us about how your meeting led to marriage. So, Jay. Great. Uh, We met at work. I came here from Florida State to be a sportscaster, work for the CBS station here in Augusta. And um, a year later, she showed up. And uh, it was the same time that Jesus was stirring. It was after September 11th. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of things were being shaken in me. And Amy and I were talking on the way over that it was like uh, everything prior to me showing up in Augusta felt like prologue. It really was just introduction, the appendix, the italics of a story. Mm-hmm. And then it was like my life really began here when mm-hmm. we showed up here and God just started turning switches on in my life spiritually, relationally. And so we met at work and a woman named Julie Harding was inviting me uh, to First Prez and began to invest her life in Amy. And so it was like these things were kind of coming together. All right, Amy, and then how did that introduction move on into marriage? Okay, so Jay's co-worker, Paul Davis, he came up to me one night at work and said, I know someone who likes you in this sing song. <laughs> and I was really hoping it was Jay. But there were a couple other guys you know, at work, too, that were single, so I wasn't quite sure. It's a TV station, a lot of people on the prowl. For cute little newscasters like Amy. New girl in town, yeah. We were working that next Sunday night together, and Jay came up to me, and he had this little note folded, you know, like when you're in the fourth grade, Stop and you it. fold those mm-hmm. notes, and it said, pull here. So I open it and written on there said, uh, will you go out with me? And then there was a, it was in crayon and the no was in light yellow and the, <laughs> the yes was like bright pink. And I said, yes, of course. And so we went out the next night mm-hmm. we went out and I had been out with another guy the week before. So when I came home uh, from the date with Jay, my mom said, so which one do you like better? And I said, well, if I have anything to do with it, I'm going to marry Jay. Oh, I love that. And then we dated eight months and engaged eight months. And then we got married. And when I asked her uh, to marry me, we were, we had seen um, a, uh, like a, the meteor shower that had happened oh, back wow. in 2002. And I took her back to that spot at Clark's Hill. And when I asked her, would you, uh, will you marry me? She said, of course. Same thing she said to the, the note. The thing. note. Kind I of love it. Full circle moment. What a good story. 
and I know you're probably going to touch on this a little bit more because you mentioned it. Jay was speaking to us last night here at First Pres on an overview of Philippians. And one of the things he mentioned is just the love that you have for this church mm, and these people mm, yeah. and comparing that to the love that Paul has for the Philippian church. Yeah. So I know you're going to get into that more, but you are beloved by us mm. and I know that you love us. Yeah, and yeah. I was at y'all's wedding. And so it is pretty sweet to look back. What was that? 21? Yeah, 20, 20 years 20 ago. Years ago. Yeah. yeah. John, I've been married 21. So 20 years ago. And I said this last night at First Pres as well, but I do love to tell this story is that watching Amy walk down the aisle, my eyes initially were caught on Amy, but then you couldn't help but look at Jay because he just was ugly sobbing. It was wonderful. (laughs) He's wiping his nose on his elbow. I think there's a a snot bubble. Yeah, yeah, I I really think there was. It was, it was. I brought the wedding out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, that's always the glint. It's like a tennis match. You look at the bride. Wow, she's beautiful. And we always see, and Amber, what's happening to me is it's one of those many conversions that people talk about. You know, it's like, of course, I'm a believer in Christ. I love him. But in that moment, I'm actually having this experience of Jesus, the lover of my soul, sees me the way I'm seeing her. Like, I'm having this moment of like, I've never, to anticipate someone coming to me to be with me, like, Christ is revealed as like husband. And so I, you know, it's kind of when you look at your, your child, if you have a child and you think the father looks at me the way I look at this child. So you're having this like existential moment of like, I'm alive in Christ in such a way that I'm, I'm overwhelmed humanly, you know, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to a little bit more conversation along those lines, but let's do our first things first question. So y'all are both just going to tell us when was the first time you remember setting foot in First Pres or on First Pres's campus. Amy, do you remember? I do. So like Jay was saying earlier that Julia Harding um, invited me to come to First Pres. And I had grown up in the church, but I had never been involved in a Bible study. And she invited me to a Bible study. And so I would say that was in 2001. And it was just so special because when I walked into the room, I was terrified. I, like I said, I'd been in the church and gone on mission trips, but I had never done a Bible study. It's so intimate. And I didn't have the, the fullness of the theology, like what it really meant to be in Christ yet. And then I met another young lady in the Bible study, and she shared her you know, testimony with me. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm not as bad as that either. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. when I left that night, when we were here, you know, I said, there's something that these ladies have that I don't. And so that's when God began to really work in me and with those women who just loved me and came beside me and you know taught me the scriptures and made them come alive. You know what I love as a pastor, you asked when's the first time you stepped foot at first prez and I'm thinking about the building. Mm-hmm. And Amy just described meeting with the church, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and it was like, of course, of course the building is precious and important, but she described meeting with women who are yeah. in Christ together and are the church, you know, mm-hmm. and the church meets in a building. And so that's instructive for me too. Like I, of course, just thought when I stepped in the building, Julia picked me up, I lived downtown and she was an older sister in the faith. And it, it was like, she just, I knew she was a person. She was interested and uh, curious and just open about her faith at work. And she said, let me pick you up. And she picked me up and drove me to church, introduced me to men in the singles ministry. And, and you know, it wasn't like, 
uh, evangelistic dating, as it were. She was, you know, you could just sense she was just a loving woman who was mature, who wanted to bring somebody who was disconnected. And so then she kind of passes me off to the pastors and the friends. And one of them was your husband, John Barrett. And so it was like, mm-hmm. like I, I'm being, I finally have a connection. And then it was the singles ministry was my first opportunity. Uh, Matt Ballard and, and John and and some of those, uh, Dennis Thompson, some men began to, Matt Willis began to kind of just like, oh, hey, you're a sportscaster. That's cool. Let's let's hang out. And um, they wanted to talk to me about Jesus, really. And then we w- walk across the street and I I was not, we were kind of in a, a big seeker sensitive rock concert, smoke machine church occasionally is where I would attend. So to be in an ornate high church robes and organs, it was like a foreign country to me, mm-hmm. but to have people to sit with me and kind of explain these things to me, it was, and I heard grace preached. I remember like hearing it sitting on the front and looking all the way to the right going like this. I, I always thought God was mad at me and to hear the grace of Christ presented in a way that was like profound was, um, I think I was carried through relationally and then to hear it proclaimed in the promises of scripture was like, it was like, yes. Well, I love the invitation piece in both of y'all's stories. I mean, it's true. We could move to a new town and find a great church and become connected that way and do all of our research, et cetera. And that's wonderful. But it's a sweet picture that somebody pursued you and saw, like you said, Jay, that you were disconnected or that they could recognize that there was something that they wanted Mm -hmm. to introduce you to. And they came after you and pulled you in and brought you someplace. And we, of course, know that that's what the Lord does for us before we seek him out. Mm -hmm. He knows us and he Mm -hmm. comes for us and he brings us in. So love that description. All right, Aaron and I are going to save our first things first questions for another time. But I want y'all to move into talking about what does it look like? Because you're on this podcast together. We're all talking about Philippians. What does it look like for you as a couple to study scripture together, to pray together? We, I was going to say some joke when we looked and we're thinking about this, it's like, well, we pray the Psalms every morning and we do, it's like, <laughs> no, the, the reality is I am a pastor. So I'm always kind of dancing in and around and with the scriptures. So mm-hmm. that's a privilege. And I'm always sharing with Amy. I would say Wednesday nights we have set aside to say, I just want to be with you. I want to hear what God's doing in your life. I want to share with you what, not what I'm giving away, but what I'm holding on to. And I would say it, it kind of is one of those things where we're, we're constantly, it's sort of like parenting. It's like you don't deal with the issue that one moment. It's, it's been a conversation over a lifetime of that issue and that issue and that it's just like I want to know my kids. I want to I want to be in their lives. I want Amy to know the Christ that I know. I want to share with her. And um she leads women and I lead men and we're we're always be trying to find ways but Wednesday nights is a time where we've just said uh y'all go there, y'all go there. This is a time for us to share and literally it hasn't always existed. Because sometimes I'm leading this or that, but we've said in this season of life, we need a devoted time to just be with each other and share what we're learning, what we're needing, what we're facing, what we're feeling, and how God is kind of securing us through his word. You know, mm-hmm. so we're reading some we're always reading something. Does that is that Yeah. Yeah. Well when you say I just want when you're saying y'all go here, y'all go there, we're gonna go here, mm-hmm. you're 
specifying that we're spending time together, just the two of us, but listeners probably don't know who y'all are and y'all are, that you're sending different places and we've skipped over that, but take a pause for a minute Mm -hmm. and just explain who are the people that you send off so that you can be together. Who do we send off? We have five children and people say, five kids. We have two very helpful teenagers and three littles, you know? So we have a 17 year old, a 14 year old, a 10 year old, a nine year old, and a four year old. And Mm so there's, when we say y'all go here, y'all go there, there's youth group and there's um, some sports activities or there's, or there's uh, upstairs Legos, you know, y'all go away because mom and dad, like it, and it's not, it's, we need to be human. We need to be loved by God under his scriptures. We need to be considering it and just sharing, like having an adult conversation where really it's like God's initiating it. It's not us just talking about bills and Mm -hmm. budgets and stuff. It's Mm -hmm. like God has set this agenda for us in his word. What are you facing? What are you feeling? What are you needing? And help us work it out. What's the most helpful to you or enjoyable to you about that time, Amy? I've just been so impressed to how my children, they see that that's so important to us that they honor that. I mean, mm-hmm. Hazel only four and Lily is 14 and she will take Hazel and give us that special time together. So I think that uninterrupted where I can be fully present and fully Amy and that Jay and I can connect because it's very rare that we're not being pulled in a million different directions. And we both lead a small group. I have one called the Truth Tellers, and we meet in our keeping room. And Jay has his guys. I call them the basement buddies. He doesn't really like that name, but they're in the basement. And so that's where we get to individually go to those places like, what are we feeling? What are we facing? What are we needing? And then come back together Wednesday night and process those things and just slow down. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's move in then to the book of Philippians. And Jay, you're going to give us a little bit of background. So tell us some things that you just think are helpful as somebody's about to enter into studying the book of Philippians. Critical to know as far as context is that Paul, the apostle, is writing to a people that he loves, and he's writing from prison. And um, it's historically agreed that he's, he's probably in Rome at this time, and it was brought by his friend Epaphroditus, and and the guy almost dies on the trip. It's like an 850-mile journey from, from Rome to Philippi. And to know that Philippi was, after things had really gone sour for Paul, um, Acts 14 and 15, we sort of see it feels like Paul's stumbling, and he stumbles upon, as it were, it just feels like, man, I can't do this. I had to have a major divide with my one of my best friends, and he stumbles into this city, and there's not even enough people to have a, a synagogue. And it's like, my number one strategy doesn't even work. And he finds these women in a, a small group Bible study, and he, he begins to say, oh, y'all are reading the scriptures, and Lydia converts. And I think then it's kind of off and running here where it's like, God's at work in ways when you're you're on plan B because there's never a plan B in God's economy and and you feel like you failed and struggled and stumbled and are ruined. It's like that's where God works. He loves to rebuild ruins. So I think that's what's important to know is that Paul is suffering. Paul feels like he's a failure again. Ten years later, he's in prison. He's the greatest church builder of all time, and he's now being chained to one person while he's in prison. He's anticipating death. He's really facing the finality of his life, and he loves the Philippian church. But here's what's interesting, Amber, is like the reality of this grand universal scope of what God's kingdom is about, and it never stops not being personal. Let me say it positively. 
It's always personal. And he wants it. It's like Euodia and Syntyche, my two friends, like y'all are at odds with one another. So the themes of persevering love and resilience through suffering are big themes. Living a life where who we are in Christ is demonstrated in a world where we're going to have opponents and critics and personal suffering and face death, but God gives us what we really wanted anyway, which is himself, which also means joy. So to have Christ in the midst of anything and everything, that's joy. And it's not the absence of suffering. It's the presence of the reality of real hope and real real love, and which we, we know is in Christ. So those are kind of the things I think is, is how it can be contextualized, is real suffering between real friends with this universal scope, this cosmic reality lived out in real human relationships. Yes. Like, yes, yeah. please. You yeah, know? right. Right. This isn't just sort of flannel graph no. material, but this is, I love how you said that, real people, real fi- friends, real struggle, mm-hmm. real joy. Yeah. And you know, Philippians is known to be, it, it does have the word rejoice in it. Right. What is it, 15 times? Right. Some, right. some the application. Form yes, form of joy is 15 mm-hmm. times. And you know, what's interesting is almost as many times as joy is the word think. Yes. Or it's mm-hmm. cognates. You know, it's kind of like, so I want you to consider, like hold, take hold of in your mind and the reality of your life is by holding to this with your existence, your thinking, your your being, and joy hold held together. So it's not just this feeling, as as significant as our feelings are, it's this reality. Thinking, grasping reality gives you joy when you actually are in Christ. Yep. And because sometimes you might think that the Philippian church was just so easy for Paul to love. Nothing was going on Mm, wrong with mm, them. They mm, were happy. He mm -hmm. was happy. But there are hard things going on in the Mm -hmm. Philippian church. As Mm -hmm. you read through that letter, you Mm -hmm. recognize that he's addressing things like fear, things like people trying to impose on them a belief system that says what Mm -hmm. you have in Christ is not enough. You haven't done enough. You haven't gained enough. You've got to do more. Mm -hmm. There's exterior pressures culturally. They miss Paul. There's internal strife. There's a lot of things going on there Mm -hmm. that are hard. And yet Paul's overarching emotion towards them is hope, love, and joy because he believes in the God who is going to complete the good work that he started. And so you see all those things and it's comforting, I think, to us. All right. Well, Amy, what kind of things as we're talking about this sort of cultural context, what kind of things stick out to you that say, you know, that's really helpful for us today because we share some of those same things. One of the things I was thinking about is, you know, he was writing to the small group, maybe at the most 50. It might even been way less than that. And, you know, they supported him financially and spiritually. And he wanted to encourage them because he heard of that disunity. Well, that's all around us, isn't Mm -hmm. it? And um, he knew that the current culture in Philippi was one that was pushed. They were being pushed to worship the emperor and not the God, our creator. And so likewise, um, our current culture tries to push in, you know, has an agenda that Mm -hmm. you, you know, that people are worshiping their political leaders, not putting their trust in Christ. Um, And so we need to honor, you know, our authority, our earthly authority, but ultimately our authority is God through Christ. And um, another similarity in both Philippi and today is that cultural relativism mm-hmm. piece. You know, it's like, what's right for you? That's okay. And what's right for me is okay. And then, of course, the disunity among friends, selfish ambition, um, people searching for purpose in life, but they're reaching for those things that are outside of Christ that aren't 
when to last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those universal human truths of our human nature <laughs> right. that they take different shapes and different form through the course of history, but you can track them mm-hmm. down in just about every place and relate to those and see the Lord move into those in a way that brings healing. Paul is writing a thank you letter. Yeah. I mean, he's in prison. The Philippians have sent him a financial gift and they're encouraging him and he's just saying thank you. Mm-hmm. And in his thank you is connected to all of these other issues, you know, of, I see you, I care about you, I've heard about you, and thank you for being who you are. It's being known who you are, and thank you. By the way, and included in that thank you is, I I want to continue to pastor you from prison. When we think about what Paul really wants is, I think he wants to reconnect with the Philippians. And in reconnecting with him, in gratitude, it gives him an opportunity to, re- because he is facing potentially the end of his life. And he is living in that, the tension of the reality that he loves them and he's thankful for his life and he loves the Lord and he, he knows it would be better to go and be with him. And citizenship and a life that is worthy of the gospel, those are the same word, your citizenship, a life that's worthy is who are you and how are you living in the reality of who you are? I would say a theme, if I could draw it out, is is that verse of progress and joy in Christ, that, that I want you all, as I'm sending this a gratitude to you, I want you all to make progress in Christ and have joy in Christ, that progress and joy, peace, that we are connected. We are connected at the end of time. We are connected now. We're not just connected through our location. We're connected in in Christ. And so I think a theme is, I want you all Philippians to make progress in Christ. I want you to grow. I want you to identify ways that you can continue to be be reckless and and prodigal in your generosity. Um, We'll probably get into this later, but they're in that church in Macedonia that Paul will use as as an exemplary um, generosity when he's asking the rich Corinthians, hey, y'all participate in what's happening in Jerusalem. Uh, Thessalonica, uh, Berea, and Philippi are those poor Christians that are astounding the Christian world with their generosity. And Paul's saying, y'all continue to make progress in generosity and in activity of loving forgiveness and find your joy, not in what you're doing, but what God has done for you in Christ. Like, like to say that, that Christ hymn is, <laughs> is just like, it is one of the mountain peaks in all of scripture of what we have of who Christ's self-awareness of who he was, what he was here to do. And, Uh, our great anticipation that in his return, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. It's like, that is one of the, I can't think of a higher peak maybe in the entire mountain range of scripture. I like how you're bringing out that idea of citizenship. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Well, I mean, it was important. Uh, Philippi was a little Rome, you know, so here they are connected to, and they want, they aspire to be the next Rome. And so to be a Roman citizen, not every kind of conquered city in Rome had citizen, it came with rights and privileges and protection. Well, Paul's like, oh, hey, by the way, the rights and privileges and protections of being a Roman is nothing compared to what you have as a citizen of heaven, like an, an occupant already. And he begins that 
that theology of, of place where it's like, you are already sitting with Christ. You know, talk to the Ephesians. You're already, you're ru- he's ruling and reigning already, that already and not yet theme of, I know it seems like this world is straining and stressing you out, but you are a citizen of heaven. The rule and reign and dominion of the king of glory, that's your citizenship. And so living through that and with that, all the rights and responsibilities and privileges and protections that come from not a Roman emperor, but from God himself you know, in Christ. That doesn't mean it's the absence of suffering. It means it's the presence of Christ, which is joy. Like you're safe in him, though the world would begin to shake you. You're safe. You're secure. He began a good work in you. He's going to work it out in you. And you're going to work that out in response and loving response. I think it shines how good of a teacher Paul is. Like he's aware that uh-huh. citizenship yeah. is such a key piece of That's the right. reality. Yeah. And he's double clicking on that and That's saying, right. okay, you do get rights mm-hmm. and privileges. Mm-hmm. You also have a duty to live worthy of the That's gospel. Right. That's right. It's almost like as a good missionary, the word is kind of contextualizing the gospel. He's explaining it in terms that they're very familiar with. And so it gives us like this, it's like, you're not just a, a worker in a vineyard. That's a great illustration. We are. You're not just a bride of Christ. Like That's a great, you know, that was important in Ephesus. It's like, you have rights and privileges, an identity based on your who you are, and and so you're a citizen. And that's a great understanding of how we're to live out as, as Christians, is mm-hmm. certainly workers in the field, certainly the bride of Christ, and we have an identity granted to us that comes with privileges and responsibilities. So uh, I love that, that he's saying thank you to them, and it gives them an opportunity to explain, kind of turn the dime in one more facet and see what is it to be a Christian in this world? It's great. Well, when y'all are bringing out that citizenship piece and you're talking about privileges and responsibilities, that's something that we say in our house a lot. You know, with privilege comes responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think our boys can work into that or can live into that because they know that within their home, they are loved, they are protected, and ultimately there is peace. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the kingdom of God and the Mm -hmm. citizenship that we have, it is a guaranteed power, protection, and peace that comes not from ourselves, what we do, uh, but because of what we've been granted. And in that, you said, in living in that kingdom and experiencing those benefits, living under that power and that peace, exercising our responsibilities, we do come up against the rub of what you said. There is still suffering. Mm -hmm. There are still hard things that go on. Uh, There are still things that hurt us and cause us to be sad and create fear in us or doubt or anxiety or all the things. And yet Christ is ruling and reigning in his kingdom, Mm -hmm. still giving us all of that power and that love and that peace and protection. But it's not easy sometimes to reconcile those things in our mind. And so Philippians, even though it can often be called the book of joy, it just is important to remember that Paul maybe emphasizes that so much because he knows that their circumstances mm-hmm. aren't lending themselves to what mm-hmm. we would consider to be a natural mm-hmm. joy. So why don't the two of y'all talk a little bit about what you've learned about the combination of what we mean by joy and suffering suffering, it's almost like it's a letter of suffering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oftentimes when one of the prophets or apostles in scripture is, is writing something, God is revealing through them almost the absence of that thing they're talking about. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, do not fear, 
well, because they're afraid, you know, mm-hmm. like that's so often repeated. And so you can kind of read out of a, the, the positive command gives us the, its, its absence. So for me, suffering, we have a doctrine of suffering as Christians that it does not undermine God's in chargeness, his sovereignty. We also have a doctrine where we bring personal suffering into our life. It's called repentance. And uh, and, and when I brought the he was like, yeah, that's dying to yourself. So here's Paul facing death, but we also know that we die to ourself. In my, in my life and story, I began to be aware of compromises, and I was avoiding suffering in ways, using things and experiences to medicate and hide from and minimize suffering. I wanted to avoid it. I didn't know that it could be a part of my life that could lead me through suffering. I was trying to go like around it or avoid it. And Jesus invites you into it. You know, I lead you through the val- through the valley of the shadow of the darkest days. I-, I lead you through it. It's like, no, no, lead me around that valley, right? You're the good shepherd. No, I'm, I'm going to lead you through. And so I've learned that suffering creates resilience, kind of a tempering reality that you're both stronger and more flexible when you move into and through. Like so oftentimes we think if I'm a citizen of heaven, I'm going to be comfortable. The Bible never promises you to be comfortable. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Um, I can be comforted in the gospel through repentance. I mourn my sin. I mourn what's happening in my family. I mourn what's happening in the rea- in the reality of this world. I mourn it, and I can be comforted by what is truer in what Christ has provided through his 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 humiliation that Christ him the first part and is in his exaltation. Like I have true joy because I have suffered. So. Paul has external struggles. There is disunity in the church, and Paul's inviting them to face it truly with the hope of King Jesus and the relationships that they've built. Like their their connection is stronger than whatever the circumstances are telling them. So I think that's when I think about the reality of suffering and joy is I have only found joy in properly stewarding my suffering and not avoiding it, and not minimizing it, and not denying it, but like entering into it through repentance and honestly facing where in my body or in my relationships or in my own sin and my own failure, where I can be known in that through the church. And I actually find joy because I find Christ. Like I actually find him in the midst of it, not a better performance, a better record for myself. That's not joy. That's just another performance that I got to just keep it up. It's like, no, I actually find Christ in the midst of repentance and suffering. Cause that's, if, if he's all I have, he's all I need. And he's, he's, he's satisfying. So does that answer kind of the yeah, question? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, um, at a very young age, I had a, you know, a misconception that you're going to suffer. I knew that. Okay. It's not, if, but when you suffer. But I think my misconception was, well, I have to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I just in put the on midst the, of it. Yes, mm-hmm. in the yeah. midst of mm-hmm. that suffering. Mm-hmm. I just need to be happy. Put a smile on Amy, mm-hmm. you know, and just push through. And that's not joy. Mm-hmm. And so that was my misconception. It's the mm-hmm. difference between being happy and then having that deep-rooted 
rest and peace. Mm-hmm. You know, my mind, my heart, my body and soul that only comes through Christ, mm-hmm. you know. Can you give us an example of a practical way you learned that or I an experience? Can. Yeah. I can't ever. Okay. So the first thing, well, there's a couple things that came to mind, but one of the things was when, when COVID hit, Jay had already moved up to coming Georgia to pastor a church. I had lived in Augusta for over almost two decades. And here I was with three children and then we'd already fostered two children. So we had baby Hazel at that, this point. And we had sold our house in a day here in Augusta. Mm-hmm. And so my husband's away. We have a sweet family at our church at Redeemer that said, you're homeless, aren't you? And we're like, uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, we have this hunting cabin out in Appling, Georgia. You guys could live there for it free. It was not a cabin. No, it was a double wide, <laughs> but like really small and, and scary. Okay. Was, so I was out of my they comfort zone. They didn't even deliver zone. pizza. Yeah, it was so far out there that I couldn't even order pizza for my kids. And I then we COVID happened. I had just gone back to work after five years being home with Lila, which was my dream to like be a stay at home mom. So I'm like, Lord, we had to have some, some conversations. I'm like, okay, what is going on here? I've, I don't have a home. I'm out in the boondocks where there's snakes and scary things with my kids by myself. My husband's, you know, in a different city and now there's COVID. He had to get the kids in the car and drive them to like, to get like, so they could do school online. You know, it's like, I couldn't even get internet, even though they had put this like booster on the house. So I could get, you know, internet to, I was teaching fourth graders and I had four kids in the house and I didn't have a spouse at the time in the home to help me. So it was (laughs) utter chaos. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment though, it really was, was an out of body experience that, that I still had joy in this. Mm You know, not every second of the day, you know, like there were times where I I had tears and, but those tears were precious to him too. So I knew I wasn't alone. And that's Mm. when I'm like, this is not of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do you attribute that to? Christ in me, the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit, just coming alive, like, okay, Amy, this isn't about you and your comfort. Mm. But it didn't feel like a harsh statement to you. Like, this isn't about your comfort, little girl, suck it up. Mm. We're doing good things here. No, Uh -uh. that's what I'm saying. It's that, that peace, that rest, like Mm -hmm. no one else you know, you're like, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is tough. And mm-hmm. yet, like Jay said, living in the tension of this is hard. Like we're not robots. God sees us. He knows us. He hears us and he's with us and he's all powerful. And so all of that, it made this that time, you know, to outsiders. It's like, that is utter chaos. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds like it, but, but we're still, we're together and we are full of joy. And you know, we talk a lot about like you have permission to feel your feelings. Like you don't, you don't have to compare yourself to say like, well, Paul's in prison and he's facing death and they're facing persecution and rival preachers and everybody. It's like everybody who's listening here, like you get to face the world that is, is yours. And in the midst of it, you don't have to say like, well, you don't have to deny part of that by saying, well, I'm sure they're ha- they have it worse. It does, you don't have to live in, they probably have it worse. Feel what you need to feel face what you need to face and then like bring that to the cross bring that to the people that are continuing to encourage you in Christ and i would say that uh amy one of the greatest honors that you've done for me amy is like when we've been thinking about our marriage she's like you've been more present you've been more kind you've been more i'm like more what do you mean more compared to when <laughs> she's like since we moved so over the last 4 years hmm. and so and it was like we got to experience like really leaning in and saying, Christ, you're worth it. 
we're going to take on this difficult task. And that kind of meaning, I think it was like Amy and I both knew this is meaningful, even if it's not comfortable. And so she, she saw how resilient she was, how incredible she was as a mother, as a woman, as kind of a, a cheerleader from for my sake, because I'm going over there at this church doing this thing. But she saw the her own capacity to hold the tension of I am a mother, I am a wife, but I'm first and foremost. I am the beloved of God. He has begun to work in me, and he's working this out. I don't have to have somebody to rescue me from myself. Or I can face this, and I can face this with, with joy. Like God was, was, she was experiencing progress in her own life. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's worth it, and he is the one that provides the strength to do it. It's always so tempting. I could listen to you and think, oh, my God gosh, there's no way I would respond to that. I would be saying things under my breath about my man being up at some church doing his business while Mm -hmm. I'm in the woods taking care of all the Mm -hmm. little people. (laughs) And I think, oh, what happens if I get in that situation? I know I'm not going to be able to do it. I wish I could be like Amy, you know, and it is true that we bear the responsibilities that the Lord gives to us. But if I stop at looking at you, I haven't gone far enough to hear what you're really saying, which was God was with me mm-hmm. in ways that I could not gear myself up into. The Lord had provided for me. Therefore, I could do this thing. He is worthy and he is the one that allows me to do it. And so when you hear what Paul's saying to the Philippians, he's not prescribing a particular degree of suffering or way to suffer or any of those things. He's just saying, this is what the Lord has given me. And this is my suffering. And this is who I know him to be. He is the same for you in the face of whatever he, he gives to you. And it's sweet to be able to give witness and testimony to that. If we don't compare ourselves to one another, but we glory in, in the Lord who provides. So. When we think about progress and joy, Paul's also ecstatic that the gospel is is progressing in people's lives and no matter what's happening no matter how they're being proclaimed paul is excited that it's not just we're growing up but we're growing up into christ into the dignity of who we are that paul says there's progress of the gospel no matter what's happening as long as i am having the opportunity to see my suffering in light of the progress of christ the joy of people finding christ that's worth it like that my life connected to jesus being exalted that's what i want to be a part of so i think one of the theme verses that or one of the places where you really see paul's heart for that is chapter 1 25 26 27 and 28 I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress in joining the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. I mean, so it's like in that you get the encapsulation of what we're facing uh, and the reality that whatever is happening, as long as Christ is being held forth as worth it, like you said, Amber, like worth it, like in our lives, like look at me who's holding out Jesus in the midst of parenting and pastoring and, and failing, but 
Christ has given me everything I need for life and godliness. We have to be careful that it's not the implication that you have to live a life, you make yourself worthy of the gospel, because mm-hmm. that's where we can be rivalrous. That's where we can have vainglory. Paul's, the Greek word is a glory hunger. It, from it, do nothing out of rivalry and uh, selfish ambition. So it's like that if I'm trying to make myself worthy, then I'm always comparing myself and my worth versus your worth. And that's the, so the implication is not be worthy of the gospel. The, the, it's having received all the benefits of what has been granted to you by grace, unconditional favor and merit and love. Now live in keeping with all of those privileges with if you were really that loved, how would you live? If you were really that forgiven, how would you relate to one another? You do not have to live a life where you're comparing worth. You get to li- where you get to turn everything that you thought was worth. You get to put it aside, receive Christ, and and that's a life worthy of the gospel and in keeping with all that we have. So I think that's that's what's important is if you're living a life and Paul realizes that of trying to build worth for yourself by your parenting or the or the size of your house or the kind of car you drive or how pretty you are or, or the size of your church if if that's how you're trying to make worth because there's a lot of economic terms in this bible as well crediting and granting and giving and reckon, reckoning uh, is paul saying your worth is found in receiving the love of god in christ and as you let go of everything you want to make yourself worthy with you'll actually be a really loving and amazing person to be around mm-hmm. because you can face whatever's happening because the loss of all things means the gaining of Christ. And walking deeper into the reality of who you are yeah. and who God is. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And that's one of the, the things that's easy to see in epistles and you do love is that the indicative always mm. precedes the imperative. So in other words, what is true, what has already been done, what's going to flow into something else always precedes the imperative. And we can't be imperative people like, tell me what to do. I'm mm. going to do the thing and it'll work out. And just to remember all throughout the epistles, there are things to do. But I loved how you said that we don't do it to make ourselves worthy. We live in a way that is worthy of what we have already received. Consistent. Yeah. yeah consistent. Well, and I know mm-hmm. y'all are all been around first press for a little bit so you will remember george saying like when we are captured by the love of christ he will burn himself out of us and so we cannot help but live lives that are not filled with discord or false teaching like we want to be delivered from those things and that's what you can expect through the study of Philippians. It's for the Spirit to use that book to confirm to you what He has done for you, who He is, that He is in you, and then to, like you said, Aaron, burn Himself out of you in wonderful ways. Well, Jay and Amy, thank you both for joining us today. It really was a pleasure to have you all here and to hear from both of you and to be able to reconnect. Listeners, we hope you will join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you walk the dog with a beanie on your head because it is cold or shuttle the kids back and forth. Leslie Bogdanow and Kim McHurd will be joining us to talk about a fascinating background in the book of Philippians. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain. 